chapter 6 this afternoon as we prepare for our meeting. thought this would be an appropriate passage to consider. And just as a reminder, you'll, for some of you who are familiar, you'll, you'll know that where this section comes in the timeline of Acts, the church has been rapidly growing from a group of about 120. In chapter 115, we read that they were gathering together. Uh, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And so they were gathering together to pray and to wait on the Holy Spirit who would come in the next chapter on the day of Pentecost. But now, as we get to chapter 6, it's grown into the tens of thousands, this group, continuing to multiply. And that's really speculation, but it's based upon the fact that it just continued to add and multiply day by day, those who are being saved. And so the Lord is growing and maturing his church. And as he's doing so, it hasn't even spread beyond Jerusalem yet. This is all within the city. It won't be until chapter 8, verse 1, that you'll see uh, the gospel begin to go out into the region of Judea and Samaria. And that's mainly because the persecution gets so severe that it spreads, it scatters the disciples beyond Jerusalem. So this is an important point in the, gospel, or in the book of Acts where the church is preparing to drastically increase even more. Right? And it required some leadership and some structure to be established. And so before we read this passage, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage that instructs us, gives us some direction in how we can proceed as a church to have the accountability that is necessary, to have the leadership to which we would submit to, to which we would be evaluated by and, and be discipled, be equipped for the work of the ministry. This is all a gift from you. And so you've given leadership to your church from the beginning. So as we look at this passage, may it instruct us how we might proceed this afternoon and give you all the glory for it. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Read with me Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, the man, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. 
And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, the growth of the church is obviously a good thing. It's a great thing. But it did bring new challenges to them. And prior to this passage, the church had withstood persecution from the Sanhedrin, even challenges of moral corruption from within, to which Ananias and Sapphira were judged day and quite thoroughly in front of the congregation. You imagine coming to church one day and seeing a couple being disciplined and then dropping dead right in front of you. That's what happened. And so as the church is considering this, what we read here is quite remarkable. The following week, you read that the church is growing. That in spite of moral corruption, in spite of the persecution, the church continues to thrive. And now we see that they have a fight against the threat of division. And so the selection of these seven men will prove to be instrumental in the spread of the gospel, as we've already seen, fulfilling the command from Christ before his ascension in chapter 1, verse 8, where he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Before it gets beyond Jerusalem, this is something that God ensured was established. So as the church grows, so does the need for leadership and structure. So let's look at this first thing, the complaint. In verse 1, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So despite the judgment of Ananias and Sapphira, despite the persecution of the Sanhedrin, the church is growing, but now it's experiencing growing pains. The Hellenists have complained that their widows were being slighted by the distribution. And if you look at chapter 2 verse 44 through 47, we've seen this language of the distribution. It's the idea that uh, as property and resources were sold, the proceeds were given over to the apostles to be distributed among those in need so that no one among them had need, that they they were provided for entirely. And you read that there as a commitment in Acts 2, 44 to 47, uh, that they were sharing their possessions. And then in chapter 4, you see the same thing, 32 through 37, and it it actually says, uh, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this was sort of a, became a, a common thing in the early church, where they were giving, those who had resources were sharing with those who had need. But it was a responsibility of the apostles to distribute, at this point at least. Well, a complaint arose among Hellenists. So these are the um, Greek-speaking Jews who had returned, most likely returned from the diaspora, returned from being scattered about. They've now returned into Jerusalem proper, and they are uh, sort of outsiders at this point. Because you've got the Hebrews, who are Hebrew and Aramaic-speaking natives of Palestine. They've 
grown up there. And now you've got what amounts to immigrants coming back in and acting like they belong and like they're part of them. And, and they did. The apostles were treating them as they belong, right? They're, this is one church. But there was obviously some ethnic tension surrounding this between the Hellenists and the Hebrews so that a complaint rises. In fact, the word there is the same in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament for the murmuring of the Israelites in the wilderness. Same kind of language. So it most likely has negative connotations about the complaint, like their attitude was, was sort of in despair about what's taking place. And they're frustrated with the apostles for this. Now, if this complaint had no validity, you would think that the apostles would have challenged it, would have explained that they were just being overly sensitive and not, not aware of, of the situation entirely. But the apostles don't say anything like that. In fact, they, they take the complaint and they say, let's do something about it, Right? So there was tension there, both ethnic tension and administrative tension. Not every apostle was probably gifted administratively that handling such a task of distributing these needs. And so they needed help, right? They needed organization. They probably were misplacing names of the widows in need. And so a similar tension probably exists in our church or will exist at some point. And the question is, how will we respond to that tension? Will we trust in the leadership that God has established to deal properly with tensions in the church? That's largely dependent upon your commitment as members of the church. And so the solution here is proposed. The 12 summoned the full number of the disciples implying the whole congregation, the full number of the disciples gathered together. And they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So a congregational meeting is called to choose seven qualified candidates for the work of serving the tables. Now, was this because serving tables was beneath the apostles' calling? Were they sort of too good for that service? You know, let us pray and preach. Some of you nobodies can take care of the widows. Obviously not, right? In fact, they raised the level of this because they give qualifications, important qualifications, that they be men of good repute, men full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. Three qualifications that if you compare them to the qualifications you find in 1 Timothy 3 are about the character of the people, about their spiritual maturity. So they're not taking this lightly. They're not saying, hey, does anyone here want to serve some widows? You know, anyone got extra time on your hands? We're getting a little tired of this. No, they're taking it very seriously. They've raised the stakes, in fact, and called upon help so that there could be proper administration of this distribution. So it's a difference of calling, not preference. 
And so the role of the distribution is not minimized here, right? They sought to give it greater attention, but their calling, it's clear, was primarily to prayer and preaching. And so from this principle, the PCA tasked the congregation of electing officers. And that means we elect elders and deacons, as we find Paul instructing Timothy to do. But we see from this passage here that it's the job of the congregation to do that choosing. Right? It's, it's their role. And we see again from Paul's letters to Timothy that prayer and preaching are to be priorities for him as a pastor. Right? And he wasn't an apostle, but he is... Clearly, there's parallels here between those who would follow, who would be the successors of the apostles. And he gives them the task, or he gives Timothy the task of devoting himself to prayer in 1 Timothy 2. And in 2 Timothy 4, 2, he emphasizes preaching, the value and role of preaching in season and out of season. So elders, as we consider the deacons, is elders have a role of authority, to focus on doctrine and discipline. The deacon has a role of service, typically involved in finances and mercy. And clearly, we get that principle right here. What are they doing with the distribution? It's taking the funds and then distributing it. Now, some would say, well, there's nothing here about this being deacons. And that's true. There's no clear instruction that this is a, an um, the same exact office that Paul is mentioning in 1 Timothy 3. But clearly there's an ordination taking place. Clearly this is an office that's being, uh, that these men are being appointed to, and the work they're being appointed to is consistent with the work that deacons do. And so at least it's parallel to what we would want to say about the work of the deacons. And in my opinion, it is the first group of ordained deacons that we find here in Acts 6. So the solution involves this selection of qualified men. And that selection was made by the whole church. But notice in verse 5, what they said pleased the whole gathering. What did, he, what did they say? They said that the apostles were to be devoted to the preaching, to prayer and preaching. And that is what pleased the whole gathering of people. They all agreed that the best use of the apostles' time was to spend it in prayer and preaching, prayer and teaching. And I think that's a, an important point not to miss, that we as a church should always be about those priorities, prayer and preaching, right? But that doesn't mean there's nothing else to be done that that's the only thing we should worry about, that that's the only thing we should focus on. No, there's much more that we can do, but in order to do that, we need help. We need qualified officers here can serve alongside the ministers. And so that's what happens here. These men are commissioned, this list of men. If you look at Numbers 27, you don't need to turn there, I'll just read it real quick. Numbers 27, verses 18 and 23, we read this. The Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. 
Verse 23, and he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses. So this is an act of commissioning that laying on of hands represents. And it even there was given to a qualified servant, one who was full of the Spirit. So we see the same principle being applied here. It's symbolic of their authority and their being placed in a position in a role of leadership within the church. Now, again, because of the close connection of the terms here, what we do see, I, I said we don't see a direct instruction that this is the same as the deacons uh, mentioned by Paul in 1 Timothy 3, but the words diaconine, which is the verbal form of to serve, is there, which deacon is just the noun form with that same Greek root uh, word. So it's diakonos and diakonine. And so I do think, again, that this is um, the first installation of deacons in the church. But all seven of these men here had Greek names. And that's interesting because remember where the complaint came from. It came from the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking believers among them. And so they appointed men who came from the group who, is, who, who lodged the complaint. It just, it just reveals the humility and the trust that the church had in one another at this point. That they believed uh, that, that these men were of such high character that they have going to allow any kind of ethnic or any, any kind of differences that may have governed their lives in the past to do so in the future. Again, they were quali- they're qualified. They receive these qualifications that are spiritual. And notice, even though they're, looking, they're overseeing finances, this distribution, they're not just choosing business-savvy people. It actually doesn't say anything about their ability to handle the books, right? to know accounting. Um, not that that's a bad thing, but what's more important is their character is their spiritual maturity. And secondly, we see that the selection was plural. They didn't just say, grab one guy. They said, make sure you have seven. And in the instruction Paul gives to Timothy, it's always plural, appoint elders. So you want multiple people doing the work. Now, what's the result? We'll close with this, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So because the apostles did not neglect the preaching of the word of God, the church increased. Adding leadership and structure to the church for equipping and edification does not inhibit evangelism. It's not adding a formality that just muddies everything. It actually helps. It supports the work of fulfilling the Great Commission. And so the obedient priests even were beginning to respond. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now this most likely is not speaking of the Sanhedrin being converted all of a sudden, but it is estimated that there were 18,000 common priests, priests within that common class of the Levi, number of within 
Jerusalem at this time. So 18,000, a good number of them, are witnessing the work that's being done by this newly formed church, and they're responding in faith. So again, if our desire is to see the word of God and the number of disciples increasing, and of course it should be your desire, then we must find ways to guard the pastor's time to focus on praying and preaching. It means I personally need to keep this text in mind whenever I think about adding another event to the calendar. That we are careful about making sure that things are properly aligned with the calling that I've received and the calling that elders and deacons have and your own calling as members of Christ's church. So the apostles upheld their primus, the, the primacy of their own calling as ministers of the word, and they invited others to take up a new calling that involves serving widows. The roles of both the apostles and deacons were affirmed in this passage. And so Jesus Christ is the subject of our preaching, the one who grants access to the Father in our prayers, the source of the church's spiritual authority, and he's also the prime example of a sacrificial servant. And we looked at Philippians 2, 5, and 11. And as members of his body, we serve one another by taking up this important task of choosing qualified men to lead this church. So let's give God praise for bringing us to this place. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity.